Welcome to The Last Supper, your weekly podcast about art in Asia. I'm your host, Oscar Venhuis. Every weekend I sit down and release an episode bringing new perspectives and engaging dialogues with emerging and established artists, galleries, curators and collectors in Asia. Learn more about art in Asia with Christie's Education in-person and virtual art courses, gallery visits and webinars. Visit Christie's Education website and enter all in capital letters Last Supper 15 to enjoy a 15% discount. The website link and discount code for Christie's Education can also be found in the description of this podcast. In today's episode of The Last Supper, I sat down with Vietnamese artist Yu Dam and we discussed the dynamics of power, the fuck button project, how he used the exhaust air from bikes in the serpent's tail, countries as weapons in his work called Weapon Country, and we also talked about the role of technology and AI. Hello Yu Dam, before we begin, you have a really intriguing background. It looks like a rather large fist on the canvas. Oh, that's the fist, you see this? And uh, if I stay away, you can see that's the fist. Describe to me what the work looks like. Ah, so this is a fist, and it has so many faces in there. They call yelling faces. And um, I had a show recently, a solo show at the Nanyang Academy of Fine Arts in Singapore. And this is the one of the painting in that. Uh, exhibition and I called the, um, the show uh, yelling faces if everything has a voice so this is one of the painting that you know uh, I'm thinking about protesting and you will see later in another uh, picture they're gonna be a Molotov cocktail and in that you know Molotov cocktail with the flaming burning flames you know and uh, the hands you have the faces on it too because you know during the COVID time and the protest that i saw on the street of saigon you know and around asia i thought about how when you protest is this you know when you throw a molotov cocktail into the police or uh, a brick is this the voice of one or the voice of many so, you know, in that, you know, brick or in that Mozart cocktail or the fist, I think it's just not, you know, one voice. It's many people's voice. So that's how uh, the yelling face, you know, come together that way. Let's take a step back and talk about who you are as a person. How would you describe yourself, Udam? So Udam is uh, a name that my dad gave to me. And he was an artist. Uh, as well as a writer, a poet. So the name Yudam is the name of a flower in Buddhism. And every 3,000 years it blossoms. And that would be the the beginning of a peaceful period. Um, and I think you know, during the 1971, when the war in Vietnam was raging, and my artist dad, he... He wanted to name the the firstborn uh, in that you know the name of the flower. I think that's uh, he he wants peace for Vietnam at the time. And um, Yudam, you know, of course, is my name as an artist, and I've been using that name uh, for fifty two years now, and um, I like it. I think it's a meditation. On, on you as a person when people call you by that name and uh, you are reminded by the story uh, behind it uh, not like instantly but whenever you think about it and when I'm talking to you now it, it comes up and uh, I think it's good to have a, a good story behind it Are you a practicing Buddhist yourself? Uh, I would say I worship uh, my ancestor as most Vietnamese do uh, that's just straight up you know um, the majority of Vietnamese uh, they worship their ancestor and then the second religion would be um, 
I was uh, I was named by a a Tibetan Buddhist um, a master, I guess. Uh, he given me a name, and then uh, I actually was baptized as well um, in a Protestant church in America. So I think I'm a mixture. Uh, yes, I. I love to read the Bible sometimes too, and you know I enjoy teaching from certain Buddhist master, uh, such as Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, from Vietnam, and some other Tibetan monks that I've I met in America. It's really fascinating how you met a Tibetan Buddhist in America and not in Vietnam. It is true. It is true because a lot of them, you know, travel to America. Um, and uh, practice their, their teaching there. And how would you describe yourself to those people who do not know what you do? Uh, I would say, hey, Oscar, you know, I'm an artist and I do uh, multimedia art and I do video, I do sculptures, I do photography and uh, robotic installation art that control your know, robot from afar that can draw painting from thousands of miles away. And um, yeah, I, I basically think I'm a very curious uh, individual that um, would like to explore many things. And uh, even though I would train as a sculptor at first, but when uh, it comes to art, I maintain a very a fluid a way of looking at and how to execute you know, a piece of art uh, to my liking. And are there any specific subjects you try to address in your work? Uh, I think so. I, um, even though my art on the surface, it can differ quite a lot from one uh, body of work to another. But I think uh, safely saying it could be my interest in how, you know, we can live with each other and uh, my obsession with power, how do you address power and how artists, you know, can be something to address social issues. Uh, that's something I'm always interested in. You mentioned your interest in the concept of power. What more can you tell what is so intriguing about this and how would you describe power? Uh, power, how you, hmm, it's a difficult one. I mean, I'm always feel like, you know, let's say in my work, uh, Thai boomerang, I take a fingertip, bronze one of my finger, and I take it, you know, uh, five fingertip on one hand. I leave the, the, the hand in Vietnam, but I took five fingertips and I dropped one in the Gulf of Bosnia in Europe, one in uh, uh, Brisbane in Australia, one in uh, along the coast of California. And you know, the next one gonna be in Africa. And uh, after that, you know, gonna be one in uh, Antarctica. So for me, you know, it's like measuring measuring that distance and somehow uh, conquer the world. And that, you know, starting from how I look at the way, you know, big country, um, recently China with the nine dash line that go around, you know, into the South China Sea and take hold of everything. And I think that's when the idea started. And I thought about measuring uh, measuring is, you know, in manifestation uh, with the form of the tongue, you know, and then the hand. And for me, you know, at that point, I realized that measuring is not just about scientific discovery or method, but how much you want to and how strong you are. And that's when, you know, big country like England at one point, they measure the whole thing and the sun never set on their land. 
uh, you know, and then, you know, America at a time, and then, you know, you see the rising of China. So, uh, because that's something that very relate to, uh, to Vietnam, you know, and the surrounding neighborhood here in Southeast Asia, that's when it makes me really think about it. And that's when I thought about, you know, how to make a work that can address that and then talk to, um, when I go to a Biennale, for example, I can talk about it with other artists, you know, in, in my, uh, in my show in a way that, you know, you don't just, you know, go at each other with fists and elbows, you know, but that's going to be politics, right? So now we wanted to bring it to a table with artists and you can talk about it in a in a more meditative tone and, you know, maybe we can solve it in a better way. So that's one way of, you know, my work dealing with power uh, that way. When you talk about the power structures in your own environment and you are based in Vietnam, how does this manifest itself in terms of benefits of these power structures? Yeah, I think the benefit we can see as what I just said about uh, what money can bring to the citizen of Vietnam, uh, more freedom in, um, you know, sending their children outside of the country. And I think, you know, for artists as well, I think um, the, the economic power of a country can be intertwined with the success of uh, let's say the art, the art collection. If you look at how the Indochina art, you know, master of Vietnam recently in Sotheby, Hong Kong, you know, uh, a lot of the characters are Vietnamese and they, um, they use their new foul, um, economic power to bring them back to Vietnam. Um, so that's one of the things that I think is very interesting. And it brings some certain benefit to the contemporary art in Vietnam is after they buy so many of that from the outside. And at one point, you know, they look at the contemporary art. And the value of art seems to be at a very good point right now in, in Vietnam. Now, let's talk about your work and, of course, one piece that really stands out, which is your Fuck Buttons project. And this is a project you did quite a while ago in 2012. So what more can you say about this work? You know, uh, when I was in uh, Los Angeles and studied at UCLA, I remember just when the war between the U.S. and Iraq happen. And then I see many cars on the street of LA and they're having your know, American flag running around. And I was driving a truck too, so I, I drive around and I saw them. And at that point, you know, I was doing this uh you not know, having this uh, idea like, you know, when you win in a battle, it must feel very good. But then if you win, you carry that onto the bed as well, then it must be a lot better. So I drew, you know, national flag of America on the condom for the U.S. soldier can use it later in Baghdad, you know. Uh, and then, you know, Iraq uh, flag. You know, I think I have about 30 or 40 of them, different nations flag. Uh, I think right now I have... I haven't posted it yet on my social media, but I have Israeli as well. And now it become quite a hot thing. So I begin to do it. And then I, when I moved to New York, I, I keep a notebook with me. And on notebook, you know, I just write out, uh, honey, tonight I will fuck you ass. So it could be anything, right? As a Republican, a Democrat, Hong Kongese or some people who love Jesus. So the variation is basically unlimited. And I kept it with me. And then one day I 
I tested it somehow on a, a Mac laptop. Uh, I have the the voice, you know, the female voice, read it. And I almost fell out of my chair because it looks so funny. It sounds so funny. It says something like, honey, tonight I will fuck you as a Democrat, a sandwich lover, you know. And then I thought, you know, I'm, I'm onto something. So I recorded all of that. And then I do an installation with all these earphones, you know, hanging from the ceiling, from the, um, how do you say, the, the top bubbles I made out of cardboard. So it become my uh, graduation piece. And it was in the Time Out New York and people really loved it. They, I toured it, you know, to LA and I sell the button in uh, London, you know, I take it everywhere. And, um, and I dropped, you know, a bucket of it in the Tate Modern as well. And then it's so funny, you know, to see all the people in the bookstore running around because they didn't know what to do with this item that has no price on it. And then they go to my website and look it up, you know. So, I mean, the, the piece is very much about identity. Some identity that you can get rid of very fast. And some identity that stay with you uh, no matter how you try to, you know, erase it. And, for example, if you work for McDonald's, so today, you know, you can be in the store flipping burger and you say, you know, honey, then I will fuck you as a McDonald's workers. But tomorrow you go to KFC, you know, you can change it without any lingering thought. But when you are a Vietnamese, you know, an American, a Hong Kongese, it's very hard to just tomorrow say, no, you know, I have nothing to do with Hong Kong or Vietnam, you know, it's so hard. And that's something that I think it's so interesting about identity that uh, you there's certain uh, temporary and something are quite permanent. And that piece somehow gives you the power to say, you know, to kind of identify yourself when you can say, you know, Honey, tonight I fuck you as, you know, somebody. And by using the word fuck, I think it gives you power. Even though when you are Goliath, you know, are you David speaking to Goliath? You feel a sense of power before he smashed you to death, you know. But at least like at the moment you're like, oh yeah, fuck you. <laughs> and then I die, you know. But at least like you feel like you have some power to say one thing before you die. So yeah, that's uh, the history of, uh, of uh, the fuck button. And uh, I think the fuck word is an amazing word because you know it can express both love and hate at the same time. And if you're in the bedroom with your girlfriend or your, your wife, you say, honey, fuck me harder, you know? It doesn't mean like you're gonna kill me, but it means, you know, love me harder, love me more. And uh, so I really, uh, I, I, when I do that work, I really had a very great time with it. Um, yeah. You took this work to different cities and different places. How did people respond to it? That work, uh, it takes some, some courage, you know, to display. And uh, one of my friend curator, Viet Le, he brought it to the municipal gallery in LA and display it. And I, I try to send it to a different museum, you know, and art center, but I don't think they, they get it. Uh, and, um, as an artist, you know, you don't wait for people's approval to do your art. And for me, that's very important. So I take it as a guerrilla tactics, you know, I take it to Ted Morton. I spend today, you know, try to install it into the bookstore, uh, the gift store in Ted Morton. And I think that's a, quite a success. And I go to Harlem, you know, uh, studio in, uh, in New York and I put it there, sculpture center, like all the art fair, I would go and I would put, you know, a little bucket somewhere that people can pick it. I took picture of them. Uh, so I think it's, uh, for me, it's a very successful art piece. Um, 
I kind of hope that some museum gonna adopt it sometime, you know, in the future. <laughs> you have shown this work in the U.S. and Europe so far, if I'm not mistaken. What about showing this in Asia? Uh, I haven't really tried it much, you know, in Asia. Uh, just at some art talk, let's say in San Art in Ho Chi Minh City, I would bring, you know, some as a gift for the attendees, and. Um, I feel like sometimes you have to kind of be strategic, you know, um, in placing your art at a certain time or point. Because, you know, I studied with some uh, amazing uh, instructor like Paul McCarthy, and his art is, you know, very sexual, very, um, how you say, I think not for the faint-hearted. And I think uh, he got famous at a very late point in life. Um, and I think that's an inspiration for me, you know. I think I'm actually uh, doing okay. And he's, you know, he just do what he wants to do. And uh, it's amazing to see that. So um, I think, you know, at some point, people, people will be able to accept uh, a certain art after they feel, how you say, you are already established and they can deal with the other thing, you know, more provocative later. Even though they're not going to bring the children to see it, you know, as when you show certain art, you know, like my video, um, other videos, you know, that doesn't have sexual content. I'm curious when you think you'll be a established artist in your mind is there a specific milestone you need to reach or when is an artist established i still feel like i'm not established um so when people tell me that i am having certain establishment or success you know i feel a little strange um yeah but i still feel like i'm how you say mid-career, you know, about to establish artists. Yes, that's my 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 <laughs> my my thinking. Because I every day, you know, I go to my studio, and what makes me feel most excited is I can do something that day um, that makes me excited. And uh, when people think that I'm are having a certain success and uh, they view me in a certain way as a established artist, I always feel a little strange because I, I didn't think myself that way, you know. Uh, maybe when you have a few million dollars, you know, flying around, that's when you are established, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> a small favor to ask that will make a big impact. The Last Supper is offered to you at zero cost. And if you like this show about art in Asia, give this podcast a star rating or subscribe to this podcast channel. Many thanks and let's continue. Another work that I would like to know more about is a work about our struggle for survival and aspirations. I forgot the title of that work, but... It's an installation with multiple motorcycles and a collection of handmade plastic sculptures. Can you speak more about this work? Uh, the project that you just mentioned is uh, it's called uh, Serpent's Tales. And uh, I employ a lot of uh, inflatable sculptures and uh, hundreds of motorcycles. And I'm using the exhaust air from the motorcycle to pump these up. Um, and you know, Vietnam is a country of about 50 million motorcycles running around, uh, with uh, mostly, I think 99% of them are using, uh, gasoline. So, uh, the amount of exhaust air producing is quite amazing. And I remember every time I stop at the traffic lights, I always feel it brushing up, you know, my feet. 
guy wearing short, you know, in the hot Vietnam climate. And then you feel it brushing up your feet. And I always wonder, like, if I put a plastic bag over the, the, the muffler, right? Yeah. And then is this going to blow it up, you know? And that thought, you know, in my mind for a few years, but I never did. At one point, after I make the video uh, watch of the machine in question, uh, and then I, one day I, I was in my studio and I put a plastic bag over that and I wrap it up, you know, I tie it up with uh, some rubber band. And to my amazement, it did, you know, goes up and it's really tight, you know, the whole shopping bag. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. And then I asked my assistant to make like a, I think a three meter long uh, tube. Uh, and then put it over the, the motorcycle as well. And then I went upstairs, you know, take a nap or something. And when I went down, like, whoa, you know, it's like go from the floor to the ceiling. I'm like, wow, I'm onto something here. It's like a eureka moment, you know, when you have this idea, but then uh, you don't know if it works. And then when you tested it, you're like, wow, you know, you have something. And then so, you know, from that point on, I spent about a year and a half just filming all kind of inflatable sculpture that I made uh, in my studio. And it go from, you know, uh, the living room to big buildings, you know, onto the street and nice scene. And then after that, you know, I bring the whole thing to my editor. And he's, I said, you know, look at this stack of hard drives. Uh, Let's do something. And he's like, you are crazy because you don't, because when I shoot, you know, I'm not a filmmaker. So I'm a sculptor. So when I shoot, I just think it's beautiful. So I don't stop. And then instead of, you know, 15 minutes, I have a like 20 minutes clip, which is for them, you know, doing a lot of commercial is very long. Um, so, but anyway, we sit down, you know, uh, and after five months, we came up with a video, it called Serpent's Tales. Um, and for me, you know, that's a very, uh, my very first uh, three channel video that connect together. And uh, for me, you know, it's like um, how we are as a human species, you know, we, we're progressing and we try to do everything in our power. And, um, the exhaust air or the byproduct of the, the gasoline is something that, you know, pushing us forward and holding it back, holding us back as well. And if you look at the, the first video awards uh, of the machine in question, you see a lot of raincoat, people with raincoat running around. And after I make the second one, I realized that, you know, the first one is a skin and how people connect to each other is very flexible. And then on the second video, you go down underneath that skin and you go into this tube that convey the power that pushes your know, equation forward. And it's become something that I think uh, connect the two pieces uh, very well. Um, and uh, if I, I may go on a little bit more, uh, that, you know, bring me to the next piece uh, that show at the Asia Art Biennale in Taiwan is the the mural of two people, men and women, riding motorcycle, and they're killing the dragon uh, manifested by you know the thought bubbles, uh, no the the inflatable sculptures that turn into these uh, uh, dragon you know, and I combine the. Um, the story of Vietnam uh, and St. George the Dragon Slayer in in Europe and make it uh, into a unique piece, you know, of the men and women of Vietnam fighting uh, the exhaust dragon. Mm, so that's like, the, I think, the first inkling of uh, realization that our progress, you know, for a better life could lead to the exhaust, you know, become something that is lethal. And after that, you know, is uh, the work Echo D, 
the slipper that you can walk everywhere and it leaves the footprints of Lao Tzu, the, the saying, good traveler leave no traces. And I think, you know, after the Asia Art Biennale, I thought not many people can come to a museum to see the mural and think about exhaust, you know, as an enemy to fight against. So now you put that in people's feet and millions of these pair will always remind people of how exhaust, you know, or pollution is a bad thing and we need to uh, fight it. I do recall the distinct petrol smell of all the motorcycles in the city, but it's been quite a while ago, I think five, six years, the last time I was in Vietnam. So I wonder, is that still an issue or is there a shift towards electric bikes? From the most recent uh, newspaper that I read, uh, Vietnamese uh, youth, they are a little skeptical on using EV and um, electric, you know, motorcycles. I saw that a lot in, in Shanghai. Uh, it makes the street a lot quieter. Why do you believe people are skeptical about the use of EV or electric vehicles? I think they're skeptical because we don't have that many charging stations uh, in Vietnam. And uh, I can share that um, you know sentiment quite a bit because about a few months ago, I was in uh, Los Angeles and I, I ran one. And I can find that it's just a pain to go to the the charging station. You know, you have to look it up on the on your phone first, and then you worry about how much juice you still have. You know, to go to the next one. And when you go there, you would have to wait for the guy or girl you know sitting in that uh, charging station to finish their charging time. And that would take about 30 minutes at least. And then when they, they leave, you know, you back your car in and you charge yours. And it would be another 45 minutes. And then when you bring it home and you run around at the end of the day, you have about half of the juice and you worry again. And uh, I made a mistake of taking it to Joshua Tree and everything was messed up because by the, you know, I started with 90%. So by the time I get to Joshua Tree, I got about 40%. So I decided that I would find a place to charge it first because I get into the, the park, you know, the park is huge. You don't want to stay in there forever. So I, I went and I look up on my phone. It's one hour away. So I'm like, okay, I go. I charge it, you know, after I come back, that's three hours. So all my appointment with my friend in the park is already messed up. And so, you know, I'm glad that I can get back to my home um, safely without, you know, being towed somewhere. Uh, so I can see that, you know, even though I love driving it, but um, charging is a big problem. Charging is a big problem. And if you look at some newspaper recently, just a few days ago, um, they said half of the people in America now who owns one say that they might get another one, but half say no um, because of that. I think that's the biggest problem, charging. Yudam, what else are you currently working on? When you look at the picture behind me, uh, that's the ongoing one. And um, I, I'm still working on it because I think there's a lot of, you know, uh, directions uh, to keep going with that. Uh, so right now I'm working on it every day. And um, I, feel, I feel quite good about that. So uh, the yelling phase, um, it's going to be uh, this year and next year. And I will develop it into um, 
sculpture pieces as well. Let me show you one. So this is a, a hand. And you see the, the one behind me is flat, right? And it's, uh, but this one, you know, it's um, a hand. And I think I'm gonna make it bigger. Um, and then draw this yelling face on it. Uh, and it's, if it's in the room, you know, uh, about two meters tall, I think it's gonna be nice. So that's one, one thing that I will do. And, um, and at this moment, I think, you know, uh, with the war in, uh, in Ukraine and, um, in, uh, Israel, Palestinian going on, I, um, I somehow, you know, use it, uh, in my, my recent, uh, work. See, if you look at this, uh, um, is a catalog from uh, Nanyang Academy of Fine Arts, and in here, you know, I uh, I draw a lot of these figures, and uh, it's all using the yelling face um, motif. Is a Z Zelensky right there, and then uh, Putin down here, and Progozin, and. Um, so when I go to the university, I ask the student, what do you think about hatred? Uh, can you measure hatred? And uh, of course they said, you know, you cannot measure hatred. Um, because I said, you know, if you come from a small country like Singapore, do um, you think your hatred is smaller than the US or, you know, Russia? And they say, no, you know, it's, uh, it's not uh, measurable. Uh, which is great, you know. Uh, so I, I asked them to make a weapon out of their country. And, um, they did. Uh, so, you know, I, um, and then I asked them why they do this and that, you know. And these are the four weapons that I made for the show. As a Ukraine, China, Vietnam and uh, the top is uh, Italy. I'll post an image on my website about the objects that you are just talking about. But if you don't mind, can you describe what these weapons look like for the listeners? So the weapon is in the shape, cut out shape of a country on a map. And they are about 40 centimeter, centimeter long on the longer side. And I decided to make all of them 40 centimeter long uh, because they, I cannot decide which one has the, the biggest hatred. And if you look at it, uh, they are all very sharp. All the edges are shaped into a form of a knife, an axe, or a weapon. Um, and you literally can kill a person with that because it's very sharp. It's like a basically uh, a little weapon. Um, and I thought that, you know, when you really hate, your hatred is filled up inside yourself. Anything can become a weapon. And, you know, when you have the world map, all these pieces of country maps cut out, it's very innocent. But it could be a weapon too, if uh, your country is invaded. And why do I uh, come up with these? I was in New York in 2005 for my MFA study. And I remember that on the street of uh, New York, you see people passing out free newspapers. And I took one, I remember one day I took one, and I opened a page. And it shocked me because I saw a milk bottle uh, x-rayed and they caught it somewhere uh, from one person that tried to get on the airplane. And that milk bottle, you know, very normal milk bottle, but then around it, it filled up with nails and inside it's explosive. 
And you always hear about backpack, you know, people blow themselves up, you know, uh, here and then. But that moment for me is a time of like last innocent. I'm like, oh, something like this, you know, supposed to give you nutrition. So, so innocent. And now become a weapon of destruction. I try to kill someone. So I, I go back to my studio and, um, I begin to, to work on a series that I call X-ray painting. And if you look at this one of the pieces here, and you see lots of nail being, you know, sprayed onto a canvas and the, the picture looks eerily like an X-ray image of a person, but they are filled up with nails. So that's when I, I begin that you new know, series. And so my thought you know, has been following me from 2003 until now. So, you know, after uh, 20 years, and then before that even is, you know, you think about Vietnam War, you think about Vietnam War all the time because you were from Vietnam, you born in 71, you were born with the war. And then you come to America and you see the 9-11 and then you see these uh, x-ray images of the, the milk bottle. And at that point, you're thinking like, wow, you know, can we ever uh, grow up into something that, you know, there's no war and we don't fight anymore. And then another 10 years, you know, you see the Ukraine and Russia war. And when this, this show happened, that's before, you know, the Hamas and Israel, Israeli wars. And that's when, you know, you, you piece together a show over a 30 year period with some sculpture of the yelling face when I, um, I found, you know, when I came back to America recently for my dad's funeral and I saw them and I realized that, you know, the yelling face has been there from 1993 uh, and then it becomes something that it just appear again and again uh, during my uh, difficult time let's say the the COVID time I had it uh, I begin to sketch the yelling faces uh, with something coming out from the mouth uh, and then before that is my under my my graduate study in New York I I, I did that as well so it's uh it's a contemplation of hatred in the amount of thirty years, and it's not that you know I fi- I found I found a solution, I didn't, and uh, but at least you know I make the students and people around me to think about it, um, and maybe you know we can be we can find some solution at some point. Do you believe there will ever be a time without a war? Well, I hope so. Uh, I think human will be maybe less interesting without war. <laughs> uh, because humans are human, you know. Uh, if you watch like Star Trek and then you see there are, I think there's a better species, right? Uh, some I remember in that uh, Star Wars thing they have uh, another people somewhere that doesn't know war you know they act very nicely on everything uh, but I don't think human can ever get to that point you know um, new technology helps but then it just gives you more killing power um so, yes, um, I can be pretty sure we will never get out of war. Um, one war is going to be bigger than the other. Uh, I, I know it's so pessimistic, but I think it's uh, you need to you need to come to uh, you know to a sense with it. Uh, you have to acknowledge the animal inside of you so you can behave better you described the rise and the power of technology 
What do you think the role of technology and AI is? Um, yeah, if I may, you know, I will touch on my uh, license to draw uh, artwork. That's something that you can man a robot, you know, with your phone over a vast distance with an app, and you don't have to be there to create that um, that work. So it's like Jackson Pollock, you know, in the Bahamas and try to draw a piece in his uh, upstate New York, um, and he doesn't have to be there. And I've been using that uh, work for a while now, from 2014. And I thought that, you know, uh, it's fascinating when you can draw from a distance. And that's with the help of technology. And you can see the robot, you move it in the direction you want. And then, you know, I thought about another side of it is you can do a uh, bad thing with it too. So they have sculpture that, you know, with hands that when you click, it can move. So let's say you collected one of my work, you know, the sculpture of license to draw. And in the middle of the night, you know, the hand just moves. And you're like, oh, you know, who did that? You know, you don't know. But at least like, you can see it moves, you know. But if a writer's coming to your computer, uh, it can do wreck havoc. And you don't know until it's too late. So, uh, so then, you know, I actually put in another work is the, the laser. And you click on your app on your phone and then the laser beam, you know, stop and then put a hole into a piece of paper uh, in, the, in the exhibition room. And I say, you know, let's go from drawing to hacking to uh, basically can burn something up or, you know, harm your eyes, you know, your flesh. And uh, that's something about technology in the vein that I'm thinking. It can do wonderful things and bad things at the same time. And uh, that's my license to draw work. And um, fast forward, you know, uh, in 1994, I went to the U.S. And that's when I listened to these tapes about science. And they say, oh, don't worry about, you know, robot. It will never, ever catch up with human. And now you see, like, top AI, you know, people is like, we really worry about it. And now they try to put money into that, you know, because they say, we know the best. So we should be the one who control it and design something that maybe can make money from it as well. Um, and uh, it's fascinating. I think AI is totally fascinating. And at the same time, if you think about 50,000 drones come over to a country and begin to, you know, shoot people uh, and, you know, can analyze the target and shoot, you know, uh, that would be science fiction come to reality. Um, and I do follow these uh, news on in warfare. And now they have the Boston um, robotics, you know, the one with that can jump and flip crazy. And now they carry guns, you know. Um, so AI, I think, is amazingly wonderful. But at the same time, I think it's even worse um, as an enemy. Uh, because I can, I can win a Boston dog chasing me down, you know, the street. Because he's much stronger, faster, and you know, I'm basically will surrender. I will be killed. <laughs> Here's a completely off the cuff question, but it just popped into my head when you were talking about AI. So. What if children would have control over AI? How do you think they would use it? They are human. They will do better and good things. They're human. I think I subscribe to a certain philosophy. Uh, I think there's a philosopher in China. He didn't say that human were born, you know, uh, angel. So I think, you know, that's kind of true. 
uh, I think we all need to be educated and uh, show a good path to go. And then maybe we can be good human. Otherwise, you know, we can be even worse than anything else that created. Before we began this recording, you asked why this podcast is called The Last Supper. The reason for calling this podcast The Last Supper is that it is a painting by Da Vinci that I would argue the vast majority of people on this planet know, including this part of the world, of course. The title also holds a very fascinating question about what we would do at our last supper. So here is my question for you. Who would you invite for your final meal and what would you talk about? I think I would discuss the what we are discussing now, uh, the AI and why we have to die, you know. <laughs> um, it's uh, at least, you know, you face the truth before you die. It's very, very interesting. Uh, and and I think, you know, on my table would be uh, some of my close friends, uh, maybe friends from my collective. And then I would have Elon Musk, um, Altman, you know, the open AI guy. And people are responsible for my demise, <laughs> a demise or whatever. Uh, why I come to this point, you know? And I think um, this is a time that is so exciting to see the people who can make or break the world living with us and convey their thought, you know, every day on a social media. And uh, just this morning, I read, you know, all the the name of the AI on New York Times. And uh, yeah, um, it's pretty amazing. So the Last Supper, yeah, I think it would be um, an amazing time with those people. <laughs> Many thanks, Yudan, for taking the time to talk with me today. And I look forward to your new work. And of course, a very happy new year. Yeah, thank you, Oscar. It's uh, interesting. Uh, your your questions are quite different from, from many others. So thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Last Supper with Vietnamese-based artist Yudan. If you like this show about art in Asia, you can support us by giving this episode a star rating and subscribing to this podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions or wish to participate in this podcast, you can contact me on oscar at thelastsupper.asia. You can visit my website www.thelastsupper.asia as well or contact me direct on Instagram at thelastsupper.asia.